0: In this particular seminar, we have chosen for our overall text, general text, John fourteen seventeen and Acts one eight, and actually and in everything we'll say will be in connection, either directly or indirectly with one or the other of these verses. Here Jesus declared that I will pray the Father in the 16th verse of the 14th chapter of John, and he'll give you another comforter, even the spirit of truth, that he may abide with you forever. And then he went on to say, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Then in Acts 1, 8, he said, ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And so we've sought to point out from God's Holy Word that there is a dual working of the Spirit of God that he expects in the lives of all believers. And one in the new birth, the Holy Ghost in you. In the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is also called in the Acts of the Apostles, as we read, receiving the Holy Ghost. You see, even though there is the work of the Spirit of God in the new birth, that's not called receiving the Holy Ghost. That's called receiving Christ or receiving eternal life or being born again. And it's also called in the Acts of the Apostles being filled with the Holy Ghost. Acts 2, 4 said, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And as we notice also in connection with these two workings of the Spirit of God, a number nine in connection with both of them. The nine fruit of the Spirit as a result of the indwelling Christ or the Spirit of Christ, which is the Holy Ghost. And in connection with the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the nine manifestations of the Spirit. Now, we call them sometimes the nine gifts of the Spirit. And actually, if we'll read carefully, and last night we got into this, so let's pick up there again today in this 12th chapter, 1 Corinthians. 12th chapter, 1 Corinthians. In the very first verse... The King James translation reads, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. But in this particular verse, you'll notice that the word gifts is italicized. I suppose you know that any time you find a word in in the scripture that's italicized, that means it wasn't in the original scriptures. That means the translators added it, thinking they'd help your understanding. So now let's read that verse and leave the word gifts out there. Because the word gifts is not really in it anyway. Now concerning spiritual, or actually in the Greek. It's plural. Now concerning spirituals, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. And that Greek word translated spiritual means now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. I would not have you ignorant. Because you see, as you uh, as you look at that from the King James translation, you'd think that his subject. And that all that he's discussing in this 12th chapter would be spiritual gifts, you see, but that's not. He discusses ministry gifts. Towards the end of the chapter, you know, he said, God has set some in the church, first apostles, second daily prophets, thirdly teachers, and so on. He discusses ministry gifts. And uh, he said in the 27th verse, now you're the body of Christ. He discusses the body of Christ. And members in particular. But all of these things, whether it's the body of Christ, members in particular, all of these things are, whether it's the ministry gifts, these offices of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and so on. All of these things are off and pertain to the Holy Ghost. Praise God. So now then, concerning things, Now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Then he said in the fourth, fifth, and sixth verses, Now there are diversities of gifts. Now the word gifts is not italicized. It's in that verse. Now concerning, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. And the next verse, and, and, you know, and, and, more or less is just simply saying there's something more here, plus. And there are diversities of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. Now, uh, you'll notice that he's talking about three different things he's talking about gifts administrations and operations all of them are manifestations now notice the next verse but the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit. All of these are manifestations of the Spirit. It's really better to call them manifestations than it is to call them gifts. Then we spent some time calling your attention to the fact that there are four different Greek words in the New Testament translated gift or gifts. And they have a different meaning. Like in connection with salvation, it's a free gift or the word there means uh, gratuity. Some of the others means an endowment. Some of them means a miraculous faculty and so on and so forth. But now, this threefold division of the ninefold manifestation of the Spirit is what we need to see. Now you understand this, and I must repeat it because this is so necessary, that words in our English language, when we speak specifically, mean one thing. When we speak uh, generally, the same word means something else. I, I use the illustration quite frequently, like the word miracle. We talk about miracle drugs, miracle fabrics, miracle detergents. We see a beautiful sunset, we say that's a miracle. And generally speaking, the way we use it, perhaps so, but specifically speaking, none of them are miracles. Because a miracle is a divine intervention in the ordinary course of nature. That's one definition of the dictionary tells you. Well, none of those are divine interventions in the ordinary course of nature, like that beautiful sunset. That's not a divine intervention. That's ordinary course of nature. That's the ordinary course of nature. Amen, isn't that right? You see So, generally speaking, they may be miracles, as we use the term loosely, but specifically speaking, it's not so. Now, generally speaking, these nine manifestations may be gifts, because anything that's given, generally speaking, is a gift, you see. Yet, specifically speaking, they're not. Four of them are gifts, three of them are administrations, and two of them are operations. Now, here's something we need to learn. Those that are gifts are available to the whole church. Amen. Those that are operations our ministrations are available as the Spirit wills, as whoever and whatever the condition may be. Now then, in, uh, let's talk about, first of all, that fourth verse, there are diversities of gifts. Diversity just simply means different. They're different gifts. Now, the Bible tells us that it's the Lord's wish that the gospel be given to the whole world. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, in order to accomplish this, he has endowed his church with gifts by which the message can be proclaimed in word and deed. Now, we remember that Jesus said in John uh, 14, 12, the works that I do shall ye do also. And remember, he didn't say that concerning apostles or even ministers, so-called. He said... uh, He that believeth on me. Didn't he? I said, didn't he? He that believeth on me. Oh, you believe on him? Well, that includes everybody that believes on him then. The works that I do shall he do also. Now, in a careful study of Mark's gospel, the 16th chapter, the 15th through the 18th verse, we find also this same fact revealed. You know, he said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that and is baptized shall be saved, he that is not shall be damned. These signs shall follow whom? The ministry? No, them that believe. In my name they'll cast out the devils and speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick and shall recover. That belongs to the whole church, doesn't it? All right, in this dispensation, there has been given to the church. And you see, what's given to the church belongs to all of us. There's been given to the church a threefold manifestation of the prophetic gift. That is, speaking with tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy and for physical deliverance, the gifts of healings. Now, speaking with tongues, let's take them up in that order. Speaking with tongues is a supernatural utterance given by the Holy Spirit in an unknown tongue. That's unknown, that is, to the person that's speaking it. It's not always unknown to listeners. We need to realize that there are at least... In the Word of God, three ways in which speaking with tongues is used. And those, there may be various ways in which speaking with tongues is used. In essence, it's one and the same. But there are at least three different ways that it's mentioned in the Word of God as follows. First of all, when receiving the baptism with the Holy Ghost. We went over these scriptures carefully. We'll only refer to them again real briefly. Acts 2, 4. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. Acts 10, 44 through 46. While Peter yet spake unto them, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. They of the circumcision, as many as came with Peter, were astonished Because it on the Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Not poured out the gift of Christ, but the Holy Ghost. Why and how did they know? Well, we heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Acts 19, read 1 through 6, we'll quote a portion of it. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, finding certain disciples. He said, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed." they said, we you not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost, he said, whose baptism were you baptized? And they said, John's. They had John truly baptized in the water, saying to believe on him that should come after him, that is, on Jesus, but they hadn't heard that he had come. Paul told them about him. They believed on him and were baptized. Paul baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus, baptized them in water. So now they're believers Hallelujah, they received Christ. Now, then he laid hands upon them. They received the Holy Ghost, spake with tongues, prophesied. So, three times out of five, it states very definitely they did speak with tongues. Then, the other two references are found in the eighth and ninth chapters of Acts. Acts 9:17 said, And Ananias, entering in and putting his hands upon him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, appeared to thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, it doesn't say here in this particular opening that he did speak with tongues, but we know he did because Paul said he did. 1 Corinthians fourteen eighteen, he said, I thank my God, I speak with tongues, I speak with tongues more than ye all. Well, now, when would you suppose that Paul started speaking with tongues? <laughs> Must have been just like the rest of them when he's filled with the Holy Ghost. So I think that one would certainly say that uh, four times out of five, the Word of God definitely and decidedly tells us when you're baptized with the Holy Ghost or receive the gift of the Holy Ghost or are filled with the Holy Ghost, these different terms are used, that's the reason I use them, that one does speak with other tongues. And then the Word of God tells us the other instance in Samaria. Philip went out of the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. They gave heed unto him, both seeing and hearing the miracles which he did. For many unclean spirits came out crying with a loud voice. Many sick of the palsy were healed. Many that were lame were healed. There was great joy in the city. And then the 12th verse, it said, Now when they believed the preaching of Philip concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus, they were baptized, both men and women. And then the 14th verse said, Now when the apostles which abode Jerusalem heard that the Samaritans received the word of God, the send of them, Peter and John, who were neighbor come down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet he has fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And verse 17, Then they, Peter and John, laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now here it doesn't say they spoke with tongues. Yet if one is a student of uh, history, church history, all the early church fathers state, and if I have time, I have two or three pages actually of quoting from early church fathers that they spoke with tongues. I noticed one over here in the second century said that we still lay hands on folks to feel the Holy Ghost and we expect them to speak with other tongues. Praise God over in the second century. But then one wouldn't have to even do that. I think all one have to do is just have a little intelligence. Now notice the reading. Let's go on reading there in that 8th chapter. When Simon saw, when Simon saw that the Holy Ghost was given by the laying on of the apostles' hand, he offered them money saying, give me this gift. Well, you can't see the Holy Ghost. There had to be some manifestation for him to see. What do you suppose he saw? He must have been the same as it was, as Peter on the day of Pentecost said, this which you now see and hear, is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel, praise God. Then there is another little further thought here. Peter said to Simon, thou hast no part nor lot in this matter. What's happening here? For thy heart's not right in the sight of God. Now, according to uh, Vines' Expository Dictionary, or Young or Strong's Concordance, the root word here, that's translated matter, the root word, is the same that's translated utterance in Acts 2.4. They began to speak the tongue of the Spirit, gave them utterance. And literally, what it said was, you have no part partner lot in this matter of utterance and he didn't. Are you listening? So then, the speaking with tongues should be, as I said, speaking with tongues isn't mentioned at least three different ways in the Word. Number one, when receiving this experience of endowment of power from on high. Now also, in speaking to God in worship or in song, or in prayer. Because you see, Paul said, I uh, speak with tongues, I thank my God, here in 1 Corinthians 14 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than ye all. Now notice what he said. Yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my own understanding than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue that by my voice I might teach others also. See, if I stood here for an hour and spoke in tongues this morning, that wouldn't teach you anything. Yet I could do that. But you see, that's not the purpose. So if Paul didn't speak with tongues in church, where did he speak with tongues? In? And he did a lot of speaking with tongues, he said, because he said, I speak with tongues more than you are. He did it in his private prayer life, devotions. See, here's a great aid in prayer. You see, God has given to the church a supernatural means of communication with himself. Hallelujah. And then, of course, tongues with interpretation can also be used in addressing the church. Now, a lot of times we need to, you know, people ask we folks who speak with tongues, they think that we give prominence to tongues. No, we give prominence to the Holy Ghost. Tongues just sort of byproduct of it, you see. But uh, one reason that they think we give prominence to tongues is that people, you know, uh, our friends of the denominations are always asking us about it. So therefore, they compel us to discuss it. And then again, another reason that it would seem that we may give prominence to tongues is that a tongues is manifested when one is baptized in the Holy Ghost. And then we need to realize that tongues, diverse kinds of tongues with interpretation are distinctive of this dispensation in which we live. Now you'll see all these other manifestations of the Holy Ghost except tongues and interpretation. You'll see them manifested in the Old Testament. You'll see the Word of Wisdom. You can see the word of knowledge. You can see discerning of spirits. You can see uh, the gift of special faith. You can see the working of miracles, gifts of healings, and prophecy. But you never see tongues with interpretation manifest in the Old Testament. Now, in the four gospels, in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can see those seven manifestations of the Holy Ghost. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discern the spirits, the gift of faith, our special faith as Amplified has it, working in miracles, gifts of healings, and prophecy, never tongues or interpretation. Tongues and interpretation are distinctive of this dispensation, you see, hallelujah, that we're living in now, so therefore you would naturally see more manifestation of tongues and interpretation than you would any of the other manifestations. Now, diverse kinds of tongues or speaking with tongues is supernatural utterance given by the Holy Spirit in languages never learned by the speaker, not understood by the mind of the speaker, and nearly always not understood by the hearer. You'll notice that Paul says in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians that though I speak with the tongues of men or angels. And a lot of time by the power of the Spirit you speak a heavenly language as we call it. You may be speaking the tongue of angels. Oftentimes you speak the tongue of men. Many times I have been understood to speak the tongues of men. I I do not know those languages. You know, I uh, I I remember on one occasion uh, there was a Baptist minister quite a large church. He was interested in being filled with the Holy Ghost or this experience. He knew something about what it would mean. He had a large church, I think of For the day, you would consider it very large. This is many years ago. 2,000 people on Sunday. When most of we in the full gospel circle, you know, we had one or 200 thought we had a mammoth crowd. And so uh, we met at a certain place. This method, this Baptist minister, a Methodist minister who had been baptized with the Holy Ghost. And two more people and myself, five of us. And uh, I'll tell you, this, this fellow just had a glorious experience. This Baptist pastor, Holy Ghost, came on him. He spoke in tongue. He preached in tongue. He fell under the power of God. Just, I mean, just flat on his face. Didn't fall on his back, fell on his face. Had a vision. God showed him about his future ministry. Well, I was just praying, as we say, speaking with natural human vernacular, sort of praying up a storm, you know, in other tongues. I remember suddenly, because I realized the tongue changed, I remember suddenly, I, you know, this is towards the end of the thing. He's he up out of the floor by now. <laughs> and uh, he said, you know what, you were speaking. I said, no, I was speaking in tongues. No, I mean, you know what language you're speaking. No, I said, I know, I know. Well, he said, man, you're just speaking in pure Spanish. And more than once I've had, had people, missionaries and, and others to say that. Well, I, I didn't know that. I, I uh, you know, I'd have to think up, you know, to think up words of Spanish, you know, like hot tamale. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, taco or something like that, you know. <laughs> but man, I just go in like, a, like one of these buzz saws. I've had others, you know, that's knowledgeable that said, you know what you're speaking. I said, no. I said, well, you speaking, you speaking German. I had a man and his wife who had who spent many years as missionaries in China, and she said after we got away from the service, said Dad, said did you, you understand what brother you know Brother Higgin was speaking, and and then uh, he said yeah, at least half of it, and then they went on to say, said so you speaking Chinese, and said now we were missionaries in this particular province, but you were speaking the dialect from another province there. And then they began to speak these words out. And I remembered that I'd spoken those words. Well, I don't know Chinese. I mean, you know, I mean, not even one word in Chinese. That's that's, chow mein is Chinese. (laughs) I tell the waitress sometimes, that's what I wanted was chow mein, you know. uh, (laughs) You know, (laughs) and... uh, and, and but he he understood that you see and so they talked about it and they said and so she said well yeah I got at least of half of what he said myself see because she understood the language and so it can be in a known tongue but see that's still supernatural I'm speaking supernatural I can't speak Chinese you know I remember I was holding a meeting several years ago in, in a church in Mesa Arizona in the Assembly of God church our brother Clyde Powell was pastor at the time and he was a little bit uh, disturbed about, you know, and I said, you know, it's strange that people don't know their Bible well enough not to get disturbed. But, you know, on a Sunday night service, a lady of his church spoke in tongues and then there was an interpretation. Usually a thing there should be, but it, that isn't even always necessary. Right in the Sunday night, well, Brother Pound interpreted, he, I didn't get interpretation. We waited around for a little while and I just went on singing because he was also leading congregational singing. So we just went on to singing. Now, what he was doing is asking me, is this all right? Well, he ought to known from the results that it was all right. Because he said after the service then, and this was back in the 50s, you see, during the Korean War. And so they had a, a, an air base there somewhere. And so there was a young man that was, that was of a Pentecostal origin. and He was there at this station air base. And he, so he'd come there on Sunday. And there was a young Jewish man, 28 years of age. He and he was the youngest. He and his four brothers were in business back up in New York State. They had four different men clothing stores and he ran one in one of the cities. I think his his store, I think, was in Albany, the capital of New York. But but he had been, uh, you know, uh, drafted. And so he, uh, well, was going to be drafted and so he got into this because he thought he'd like that better. Uh, you know, he's called him up. And so he was never married, 28 years of age, and he just didn't have a friend. So this Pentecostal boy just be- befriended him, you know, and showed some courtesies towards him. And and so uh, he uh, he got him to come to church. Well, he didn't want to come because he didn't believe, you know, that Jesus is a Messiah. But this fellow was so nice to him, he agreed to go with him. In fact, the Pentecostal boy said, I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll go with you to the synagogue if you'll go to meet my church. They just swapped out. And so... This fellow came to him, the, the Pentecostal boy. Now, and said to, to the pastor after the service. Now, nearly everyone was gone. Uh, this this young Jewish young man wants to talk to you. So he said we well, went into the office, pastor's office, or study. And brother Powell said he said to me, "Who was that lady that spoke to me in Hebrew?" See now, brother Powell's asking me, "Is it all right?" I wanted to be sure. It's all right. I said, "Well, sure, it's all right. God knows what He's doing." He said, I was sitting right behind her. You know, she's in the pew in front of me. And she got up and spoke, you know, and said, she called my name and told me. And he said, I I, I wouldn't even repeat that name. That uh, Jesus Christ is the Messiah and that I should believe on him. He felt a little insulted that she would sort of, you know, uh, single him out in a service like that. Brother Powell said, well, that dear woman doesn't know Hebrew. She can't hardly speak English. She's uneducated. In fact, she's a widow lady, takes in washing, does washings and ironings for a living. See, because she's not qualified to do anything else. The people of the church try to help her, you see, by giving her, you know, their washings and their ironing, you know. That's all she's able, that's all she's qualified to do. And so he said, I said to the other boy, see if sister so-and-so has gone yet. So they checked, and she was still there, just a handful of people left. most everybody gone. And I called her into the office and engaged her in conversation, you see. And he could tell the way, way she butchered the king's English, you know, that she <laughs> that she was uneducated. And, and see, this fellow spoke to her in his language, but she didn't know what he said. She, I do what he's saying. And he became convinced, you see, that she didn't understand that she didn't know what she said. Brother Powell said, "Well, I didn't know what she said either." Said, "Now, there is such thing as tongues and interpretation, but I didn't get interpreted. That didn't need to be interpreted. It wasn't for the church's benefit; it's for his benefit." And that fellow, two weeks later, he said, "Well, I'll give it some consideration." And two weeks later, he came to the altar and accepted Christ as Messiah. From that supernatural manifest. Now, I can tell you of of many such incidents as that happening. And so, you see, tongues, when we talk about speaking with tongues, you know, it goes from all the way over here, over to here, so to speak. You understand what I'm talking about? There's different facets of it. And thank God for all of it, because it is certainly scriptural and supernatural. Now, let's let's notice again, real quickly, just sum up some things here for us. As we've already pointed out, the scriptural purposes of speaking in tongues, number one, we pointed out from, all, from the Acts of the Apostle, it is the initial, it's not the only evidence, other evidence is followed, but it's initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And then secondly, you see, in scriptures, you can see that tongues was used in prayer, in praise, in song, in worship. Now, notice what Paul said. We pointed out the 18th verse where he said in the 14th chapter First Corinthians, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you are. In the second verse of the same chapter, he said, he that speaketh an unknown tongue, and the word unknown is italicized. It's added, he that speaketh in a tongue, speaketh not, not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now, I like Weymouth's translation on that verse. It said in the spirit, he speaks divine secrets. Glory to God. So you see then, uh, the one purpose of speaking with tongues is that men may speak supernaturally to God. Hallelujah. Or put it another way, God has given to the church a divine means of communication, supernatural means of communication with himself. Then again, another purpose. Remember Acts ten forty six. The Bible said that they of the circumcision, those six brethren that had come with Peter there to Cornelius' house, that they were astonished because that on the Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now notice, for it said, they or we heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Well, then speaking with tongues, one purpose is that believers may magnify God. Hallelujah. Well, can God be magnified? Well, God's God. From this God's standpoint, he can't be any bigger. But from our standpoint, he can be bigger. Hallelujah. Can be magnified, can't he? Hallelujah. Now then, another another purpose of speaking with tongues is that we may edify ourselves. Look at this verse here. In 1 Corinthians 14, 4, he that speaketh in a tongue, unknown tongue, our tongue, does what? Edifies himself. Now, the word edified means he builds himself up. See, this is, this is spiritual edification, not mental, not physical. But I am a spirit. I have a soul. And I live in a body. Are you listening? And so here is a supernatural, divine means of spiritual edification. And that's one reason a lot of times that folks are not any more powerful. They haven't been edifying themselves. Now, those who are Greek scholars, and incidentally, I'm not a Greek scholar. But they tell us that we have a word that we use nowadays in our modern vernacular in the English that's, that's closer to the me the Greek word that means edified than the word edify is, or the Greek word that's translated edify, and that's the word charge as we use it in connection with a battery. See, we take an automobile battery that has run down, put it on the line, and charge it or build it up. See an edify means to build up. So it is safe to say, that a good modern translation of this verse would be, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, edifies himself, charges himself, or builds himself up like a battery. I remember reading from some of the messages of Smith Willsworth's preaching, he said somebody asked him, what's your secret of success? Because here was a man, you know, that had revivals around the world on every continent of the earth, great move of the Spirit of God. Three people raised from the dead under his ministry. Well, he said it couldn't be education because I never went to school a day in my life. So that couldn't be a secret. Then went to school a day in my life. Started working in a factory in England when he was six years old. Didn't have child labor law then. So it couldn't be education because I don't have any. Couldn't be pulpit etiquette because I don't even know what the word means. <laughs> No, he said, my secret is that I was going along doing the best I could. He'd learned the plumbing trade, you know, as a plumbing apprentice first and then learned the trade and was a plumber. I was going along doing the best I could. When somebody said, did you know that folks are receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost and being endowed with gifts of the Spirit and so on and so forth at this Episcopal church there in England, way back there at the turn of the century, said, no, I didn't know about it. And so he said he went up and came away speaking with other tongues. And my secret is, he said, that I just get in the privacy of my own bedroom and pray a couple hours every day in other tongues. I edify myself, then I go out at night and edify the people. The reason we don't edify as ministers sometimes, people any more than what we do, is that we haven't been edified ourselves. You can't edify others till you've been edified. Builds you up. Get charged with the presence and the power of God. Hallelujah. Thank God for this supernatural divine means of doing so. Hallelujah. Then another purpose of speaking with other tongues is that our spirits, and oh, I like this one. Our spirits, as distinct, from our understanding, might pray. Now look, here in 1 Corinthians fourteen, fourteen. For if I pray in a tongue, the word unknown is italicized, or if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Understand the Lord I say, well, is there any benefit to that? They must be or God wouldn't provide it. I know from experience. I can remember as a young Baptist boy and preacher and pastor that I'd have some great times of praying and refreshing for the presence of God, but I, I would go away from that place of prayer sometimes after waiting for a long time, 45 minutes, an hour in the presence of the Lord or even longer. And yet, some way or another way down deep inside me. See, from my mind now, from my understanding, I tried to tell the Lord, you know, how much I loved him. I tried to tell him, you know, how much I appreciated him. I tried to tell him how wonderful he is. I tried to express the sentiments of my heart or my spirit, you see, with my understanding. But some way or another, every time I went away from that place of prayer or those times of prayer, here on the inside, some way deep down inside, I just wasn't satisfied. I just we hadn't said what I wanted to say. Can you understand that? In other words, it, it seemed like my spirit, you know, like uh, I use this illustration sometime, you know, my wife and I have traveled many, many miles uh, here in the United States in field ministry, going from church to church and years have gone by. In, in fact, I figured it up one time by automobile, we'd travel nearly two million miles here in the United States and Canada. Man, you travel sometimes seventy thousand miles a year. It don't take ten years to get some seven hundred thousand miles, and we did that for, for many years. See what I'm talking about? And uh, and uh, and uh, incidentally, never did have but one flat tire. <laughs> we just believed God, and I was to blame for that. And uh, you know, we just believed God to keep us and sustain us, and thank God He did. You know. Well, did you go praying? No, no. I just usually always said to the angels, Well, let's go, boys. The Bible's, <laughs> Bible said the angels of the Lord didn't camp around about them that fear him. <laughs> Praise God. So let's just go. Here we go. Praise God. Or here we go, Jesus. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So you're with me. Praise God. So we go happy. We go singing. We go praising God. Amen. Well, anyway. You know, a, a lot of times you, you, you see, you're traveling. You know, and you've never been down that road before. You know, or this place. You know, and you're, you know, it's time to eat your hunger. You know, and uh, and here's a place just looks beautiful. Man, I mean, it looks beautiful. That must be a good place to eat. And, and you know, I, I'm not. I'm not. I don't mind paying for something if you get something, but I sure hate to walk up there and plank down to the cashier, you know, pay for a meal, and all the way up there, my stomach a-hollering, you cheated me. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> well, you see, that's what I mean. When, when It seemed like when I left those places of prayer, through those years, you know, as as a minister of the gospel, actually, and and Those places of prayer That my spirit was a holler And you cheated me I didn't know what it meant But but my spirit here on the inside Hadn't said what it wanted to say Wasn't satisfied But since being baptized with the Holy Ghost Speaking with other tongues I've never left that place of prayer yet With that kind of a feeling Why? Because my spirit Was able to communicate With the Father of spirits God the Father Can you say amen? And so our spirits can be at direct contact. Now, as is necessary, it isn't always necessary to know everything you pray in tongue, but as necessary, you may interpret your prayer as the Spirit would give you interpretation, you see. Uh, Because Paul went on to say, what is it then? I'll pray with the Spirit and I'll pray with the understanding. I'll sing with the Spirit. That's praying with the Spirit, praying with tongues, singing with the Spirit, singing with tongues. I sing with tongues quite frequently when I'm praying. I'm not a singer, but I can sing in tongues. Glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. And uh, he said, I'll sing with the Spirit, and I'll sing with the understanding also. Now, I personally believe that this can have a two-fold interpretation. That means that I'll just, I will deliberately pray with my Spirit, then I will switch over and pray out of my understanding. I believe that it also means, as, as is necessary, as the Spirit wills, that, that I may pray, you see, because when you interpret, you speak with words you understand. You may interpret your prayer. Now, I've done that a lot. I don't interpret everything I pray, by far, not everything I pray. I don't believe it's necessary. If it was, I'd get it because I'm using the air of interpretation have been for many, many years. Much of what we're doing today in in ministry came that way. I was praying in the month of January in the year of 1963 in the city of Houston, Texas, in the full gospel church there. One night, spirit of prayer fell upon us. And uh, I mean, we just all hit the floor, so to speak, praying. I look back across the crowd, there's nobody sitting on the pew. Everybody's on their knees by the pew or else they've come down and knelt around the altar in the front of the church. Well, I walked down off of the platform, stepped down off the platform, and just, there's some steps here and just knelt here, you see, by these steps, just just pulpit here, and there's just some, you know, not, not steps all the way around like this, just one little section. And I just knelt there and, and began to pray. Well, now, when we began, it was somewhere around a little bit after 9 o'clock, before 9.30, you see, Oh, somewhere, probably 9, because last time I looked at my clock, I think it was about, our watch that I had here on the pulpit, was about 13 minutes after 9, and I'd said some things afterwards, so I know it wasn't 9.30 yet. And so we knelt there to pray. Well, now, I, I prayed. I, I, I don't know about you, but I call it, I, uh, for lack of better words, sometimes I call it getting lost in the Spirit, you're not unconscious now, you know, you're just fully conscious. I mean, if, but yet you're over here in the spirit world. You're more conscious of spiritual things than you are natural. Naturally, if people's talking loud around you, you'd hear it. Somebody slapped the hand, you'd hear it. But, but I got my eyes shut and I, I prayed and I thought, you know, it's, I must've prayed at least 15 minutes. Bound to be 15 minutes after a while, you see. And and, uh, uh, and so opened my eyes, and I had when I went down. I used to pull my watch off and there, but I, I I picked my watch up. I didn't necessarily look, but I just picked it up and put it on knelt down there. And so I looked at my watch, and I'd been praying for uh, uh, an hour and something. See, actually, it was between 11 and 12 o'clock at night, almost 12. And I thought I can't have been praying that long. Now. I didn't interpret all I prayed during that hour and 45 minutes or two hours of praying because much of it was travail. Are you listening to me? But right on the end, just this little bit of it, I interpreted it. You see, I suddenly became conscious of the fact that I'm kneeling there. And in fact, I had in that length of time, I'd got tired on my knees and had just sat down on the floor. And, and, you know, and I never opened eyes during all that period of time. I'd never opened my eyes, but I suddenly realized then that I was speaking with tongues and going through certain maneuvers or gestures and, and, and and open my eyes to see what I was doing. And I was praying in tongues and I had that thumb and finger just in a circle like that. And this finger here, I'd go, I'd speak with tongues and I'd go around this circle that way. And I'd speak with tongues and I'd come back around that circle. And I realized I'd been doing that, you know, for once or twice before, not any length of time. And then I'd go halfway around that circle, and I'd come back halfway around that circle. And I'd go halfway around the circle, and I'd come back halfway. Then I'd go a fourth of the way around the circle, and I'd come back a fourth of the way around the circle. See, praying out of my spirit at the same time, my mind thought, what in the world am I doing? (laughs) You know, that thought flashed across my mind. Then I stopped that. And I reached over here and I made a circle with my hand like that, maybe 10, 12 inches in diameter, you see. And I kept talking in tongues, and then I made a, a bigger circle like that, maybe 18 inches, 15, 18 inches. Then, then I, I made another circle here, maybe 20 inches or 24. And then I made a great big circle, maybe 30, 32, 3, 6 inches. And the thought crossed my mind what in the world am I doing? And then about that time here, I began to pray that out in English. When I prayed out in English, I went through the same maneuvers or gestures. And here was it. You're going in a circle in your ministry. You're just going from full gospel church to full gospel church and holding meetings and teaching. You're not going to catch any fish there because nearly all full gospel churches are fishing out of their own bathtub. Well, I knew exactly what that meant, see, because you go around that circle and you come halfway around the circle. You go back around the circle and you come back around the circle. And I was just from that meeting going to a place, going right back to another place where I'd been, I don't know, six or seven times. Going right back. Now, get out of that circle. Don't go to the churches anymore. Oh, no, I'm not against the churches. I'm for them. I'm for them. And if I tell you to go, go. But go to a neutral place. Get you a hall or, or the ballroom in the hotel or room in on a holiday inn. Get out and go to a neutral place. Put on your own meetings. And don't put any name on it. That's the reason I used to call them all faiths crusade. Invite everybody to come. Because you said people are religiously biased. So you just put on your own meeting. Now, if you do go to a church, don't hold a meeting for them. Don't let it be their meeting. Use their building and put on your own meeting. Now, that's the first circle. Now, incidentally, I had been, I see this is 63 now. Now, this is January of 63. June of 62, I'd been to a certain church. I went there and held them a meeting. We never did fill up their auditorium, their church auditorium. It was sometimes what we call comfortably full, you know, but never full. One time it was comfortably full, sometimes two thirds full. So he wanted me to come back and I went back to him, you see, uh, 12 months later, that was June of 62, May of 63. And so I contacted him, said to him what the Lord had said to me. And I said, this time I don't want to come hold you a meeting. I'm going to come put on more meetings. You're not obligated. You want to take up any offerings. You don't want to do anything. We'll, I'll do that, pay for all the expenses, you know, and then give you 10% back into the churches, you know, for using your auditorium to help you. Come on, he said, just, you know, just do. It. Now, when we did it that way, we advertised it all faiths, Crusade. And that we just use these facilities. He didn't even advertise him as pastor. Of course, he got people out of it, families into his church out of it. In fact, I had some of these pastors when I would do that, Tim said, man, I got more people out of that need to meet than any meeting ever got. I got five, six, seven families into my church out of that meeting. Never done that. And we filled the auditorium up every night. <laughs> Run it over every night. You see, Made, it makes a difference. Now, that was the first circle. Second circle was... Put all of your, see, I prayed this out. I'm just interpreting to you what I interpreted. <laughs> I didn't just necessarily pray it in these words, but this is interpretation of what I prayed. All of your Bible teaching, particularly the day Bible teaching messages, the, the, the teaching lessons, put them in print. In lesson form and book form. That's the second circle. Then reach out here and make another circle. Put all we had, we didn't have cassettes in, we didn't have these reel-to-reel tapes, you know, usually the big ones, seven inch you know. Your Bible lessons, particularly the teaching, put all of it on tape. And then reach on out here and make a bigger circle. Get on the radio and teach, don't preach, teach. And at the time that we got on and began to teach, there wasn't anybody else in full gospel circles, Pentecostal circles that was doing the teaching, they got on and preached, but nobody, not one single soul not one single person was doing any teaching. And and it was amazing as we broke into those different things. You know, I had some obligations because I had some meetings, you know, and I couldn't leave people stranded. One of the the Bible said one of the characteristics of a spiritual pilgrim is he that swears to his own hurt and change not. And if my word's out, I won't change it. Amen. You'll never be a person of faith if you're not a person of your word. Are you listening to me? Well, you said, what if God spoke to you? God didn't speak to me. But I'd say to a pastor, if God spoke to me to do this, if you release me, I will. If you don't release me, I'll of my word. I'll come right on because the Bible tells me to. Well, most of the time, of course, it would. But anyway, I had some obligations to fulfill. But as I broke over into these different circles, it worked almost like magic. Then not only that, if I had time, I could tell you a number of experiences. I remember I was praying way back in 1951, March of 1951. I was praying down in Alabama. I was holding a meeting down in Alabama. And and I was praying. Now, I'll tell you the truth about much of what I know about the Bible. And that's what I meant in some of my former teaching here about deeper truths. I got while I was praying in tongues and then prayed the interpretation out. Because see, the Holy Spirit knows the deep things of God. So I was I was praying there in a in a home. I stayed in the home of this small town, in Alabama, and and uh, I stayed in this uh, doctor's home. They had the most palatial home in the in the city, and I stayed there. And uh, and so just in my room one day, three hours, I got lost in this spirit of prayer. See, I wasn't unconscious. Somebody called me; I'd have heard them. But, uh, but for three hours. And the Lord, in that three-hour period, uh, well, actually, I'd say the first two hours was, was just interceding and praying, and I don't know what i said in tongues. If, he, if it's necessary for me to know, he'd have told me. I'd have interpreted it. But the last hour, I would say, of that, I interpreted it. And in that last hour, I, God took me through the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians, and completely changed my ministry. First three chapters, first grade, I'm not going to detail, just assume you know about it. But he pointed out to me in that third chapter, after you see first addressing this letter to the church of God, which is at Corinth, and bragging on them just a little bit, you come behind and no good gift and so on. Then he began to reprimand them in the second chapter and, and over into the third about not growing, being babies, You're yet carnal. You're babes. They strife among you and and debate and so on and so forth. You know, don't you? But then when he got down to the end of that, down about 21st verse of that third chapter, he said, but you're Christ's. You mean that carnal bunch belong to Christ? Envy, debate, division, strife among them? He said, you walk as mere men. What do you mean? I said, you're acting, walking like people. It's not even saved. You know all that's in there? Do we have to read it for you to know it's in there? You know it's in there, don't you? Yet he said, you're Christ and Christ is God's. Hallelujah. All things are yours. I mean, everything belonged that God had belonged to them, praise God, even in that state. All things are yours, whether it's Cephas, whether it's Paul, whether it's Apollos. Because see, there's division among some of them said, I'm of Copeland myself. <laughs> some of them said, I'm of Hagen myself. Some of them said, well, I'm of Price. Some of them said, well, I'm of Savelle. All those kind of people you see that's fallen Copeland or fallen Hagen or fallen Price or fallen anybody else or baby Christians, carnal Amen. Amen. They ought to be following Jesus and thank God for Copeland. Thank God for pricing. Thank God for the word wherever they hear it. Isn't that right? But there's some folks, I wouldn't go hear anybody else. (laughs) No, not me, boy. Bless their hearts. (laughs) And then some folks say, I won't go hear anybody. Don't preach faith. Well, you wouldn't have heard Jesus then most of the time. Amen. Yeah, he preached on faith, but that's not all. What about the Sermon on the Mount? He wound up by saying, Be thou perfect, even as your father was in is perfect. He's encouraging people to wh- holiness. What about the twenty first chapter of Luke? He wasn't preaching on faith then, didn't he? He's preaching on prophecy in the last days. Wasn't he? I said, Wasn't he? Amen. What about Paul? You wouldn't have went and heard him preach then. Because, see, we know things he preached because he reminded these people when he wrote to them. He didn't just preach on faith all the time. Yeah, he did part-time. But he said, Husbands? Well, he got old husbands sometimes. (laughs) Wives? Children? Didn't he? I said, didn't he? Amen. See? Well, now, we need it all. Praise God. Hallelujah. And so, you see, where were we in our discussion before we got off here on this little side trip? Yeah. Well, you see, that's what they were saying. Some of them said, I'm of Apollos. Others said, I'm of Cephas. Some of them said, I'm of Paul. Paul said, I planted Apollos water and God gave the increase. He said, all things are yours. Whether Cephas, that's Peter, whether Paul, whether Apollos, and you're Christ and Christ is God's. Hallelujah. All things are yours. Now, what did he do? He didn't take anything away from him; He gave him something. Now, here's what he said to me. And here's what swapped me. See, see, I didn't always teach and preach like I do now. He said, if that had been you right in the letter... If that had been you writing a letter to that bunch, you would have wrote and said, you bunch of backslidden buzzards need to pray to and get right with God. And you know, that's probably what I would have said. But even in that condition, Paul didn't take anything away from him. He gave them something. He said, don't ever take anything away from anybody. Give them something. Give them. Don't put, take anything out of them. Put something in them. Boy, it just changed me. Sure, change me. <laughs> Amen. In denominations, he said, you know, dealing with other denominations don't understand tongues and the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Don't take anything away from them. Give them some. Find some place where you can hook on with it. See, I'm praying all this out in interpretation. That's what I've been praying about. Uh, Find some place where you can hook on with. Now, up till then, you see, I, I had been Baptist, you know, and of course the Baptist fought you because, you know, you got the Holy Ghost and spoke with tongues and you got the left foot of fellowship from among them, you know. So I fought the Baptist. I'd make them mad. I'd get him in my meeting bowl, I'd skin them alive. Hang their hide on the wall and salt it down. <laughs> you know, you never did win any of them to doing that. But I changed, See? And started to give them something and I just got started getting the Baptist preachers and all, just baptized by the Holy Ghost, with the Holy Ghost by the score. Amen. Hallelujah to Jesus. Didn't take anything away from them, gave them something. Put something in them. Are you listening to me? Well, if I had time, I could tell you some more about that, but I don't, so I'm not, uh, that, that maybe it would help you. And I could give you some other I- illustrations of praying that way. I got started off praying that way Way back there, when I, after I was first baptized with the Holy Ghost in 1937. Now, I never interpreted everything. Don't misunderstand me at all. I personally, you know, and that's purely, wouldn't fight about it. That's purely my opinion, that you don't need to know everything you pray. The Spirit of God knows what you're praying. But if you need to know, He'll give you, He'll give you the interpretation. See, He'll show you things to come. The Spirit of God will do that. But if there is not the manifestation of, you know, you can see things to come by by, God, by the spiritual gifts of revelation. We'll get into those. But but if you don't have those in manifestation, how's he going to do it? Well, I'll tell you one thing about it. He'll have you the spirit of God if you're near to him. Will have you to praying about things. Now I'll tell you the truth about the matter. Here's why my faith was such that I could believe God. You see. When I, I, as a Baptist boy preacher now, I'm, and I had been preaching since I was 17, I started past that little old country church, actually when I was 18. You know, I say that because by the I, I, I preached as pastor. Now, we'd preached there before quite a bit, but I accepted as pastor one and preached as pastor one Sunday. By the next Sunday, then I was 19. So I like to say I started pastoring when I was 18, see. And so I pastored that church, you see, for a couple of years, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm about two and a half years, and from all the time I was preaching out there, it was about three years. But, but I was wasn't pastor all that time, and uh, and, and so uh, just about my 21st birthday, well, I took this, uh, and in the meantime, during that period of time, I got baptized, the Holy Ghost, and 93 percent of the people followed me in, and, and we all became turned into a Pentecostal full gospel church. So I took another church uh, just before my 21st birthday in 1938. Uh, a full gospel church, and uh, and so I uh, I rented a room. They had no postage anything. I rented a room from one of my members and you know room and board. You know I think I gave him what was it two and a half three dollars a week for room and board. My they fed you, and and then one of my fellows I stayed with him quite a bit. One of my one of my board members out in the country. He was a farmer. This other fellow lived in town, little old town, just two three hundred population, and uh, and I stayed quite a bit out there. Uh, and uh, I loved to get out in the country and pray, and i 'd go down in the barn and and I was always very studious and always read a lot and and, uh, and uh, more so than I do today. But when I was younger, you know so much i didn 't know and you', you got to learn i didn 't have the privilege of going to bible school and things, so i 'd just get the books from whatever school that I was interested in and, and, and study them and uh, and and then i 'd pray a lot, and i 'd go down in the barn and climb up in the hay and pray. You see? Well, I'm going to tell you the truth about the matter, and I, I don't know. I'm going to share some secrets with you a lot of times. I've, I've, maybe some things that I haven't shared always with folks. But that's the way I knew before I ever married who I was going to marry. That's the way I knew, was praying interpreting my prayer, know how many children I was going to have. I prayed that out, meaningless. Before I ever even, I, I hadn't seen Aretha, but I don't think I'd had one date with her. But I was up there in that barn leaning back, sitting down back against the bale of hay praying in other tongues. And I started to pray an interpretation out. And not only did I pray it out, but on this occasion, I saw it, you see. And then I saw this, that we'd have two children. The first would be a boy and the second would be a girl. And that's the reason that I could speak so positive, you see, when we told folks, you know, and so I told her that and she believed it. And uh, and see, we we I never did tell her that the Lord told me anything. Never told her that at all. But once I proposed to her, then I said, well, there's something, you know, and she accepted, there's some things we need to discuss because I was just a 21-year-old boy, but I'd been in preacher's home since I was 17 and I'd seen so much division, see where they lost their children. I said, we need to discuss some things before we're married. If we're old enough to get married, we're old enough to talk. Here are four things because I had to as a, as a single boy, 19, 20 years old counsel with married people. Had all kinds of problems. Here's your main four things that married people have trouble about. Number one is religion. One of them say, one of them's not. One of them member of this church, one of them is not. Number one is religion. Number two is sex. Number three is money. Number four is children. So we just took it up. Religion first, sex second. You're old enough to get married. You're old enough to talk about sex. Number three, money. Number four, children. How many children do you want? I didn't tell her what God told me. She said two. I said five. That suits me. (laughs) We discussed that before we ever married. Some folks said, we'll settle all that answer. No, you won't hard head. If you haven't got enough sense to talk about it before you get married, you won't have half enough sense to talk about it after you get married. If I had time, I could meddle some more here. People just plunge in. They shouldn't just plunge into marriage. That's how idea. Well, if that don't work out, I'll just leave and get me nothing. Yeah, and you'll get in trouble too. Especially if you're called to the ministry, you'll learn, to learn your ministry. You'll grieve the Spirit of God. You'll weaken the anointing that was upon your life. Though God won't forsake you, he'll help you and forgive you. But you'll never be what you could have been. The anointing will wane in your life. I've seen it with so many. Sometimes you'll not live the full length that you should have down here below. God does not look with pleasure upon those things. You out there, you are going home. Amen. Well, how come me to get off on that? <laughs> but anyway, I, here's where I got off. See, I prayed all that out. Now, I didn't interpret all I prayed, but I interpreted that part, see. In other words, if your understanding needs to know what you prayed, he'll tell you. Are you listening to me? Amen. And much of the time in ministry, that's the way things have come to me, you see. I was talking to Brother Roberts and we discussed some of these things more than once and and, and I found out that to be the case with him. Well, and then we prayed together and sometimes interpret one another's prayers. But that isn't necessary. I mean, you don't always have to do that. If the Spirit wills, if, let's put it this way, if my mind needs to know, God will see to it, that is, if I have interpretation, he'll give it to me. If, if I don't have interpretation, I need to pray for interpretation. Because back up there to the 13th verse of 1 Corinthians 14. Notice what it said. See, we, we were here in the fourteen, fifteen. Wherefore, let him that speaketh an the unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. So if you don't have interpretation, I didn't have to pray for it because I had. If you don't, you can't have it. Because I said these belong to the church. Everybody in the church, if they want it, can have tongues, interpretation, and prophecy. They're gifts given to the church. Are you listening? Praise God. All right. I don't know about you, but I'm enjoying the Word of God. Isn't God's Word good? Praise the Lord. Amen. You're dismissed. God bless you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. This message. For more information about Kenneth Hagen Ministries, call 1 888 283 2484 or visit our website at www.rama.org or write Kenneth Hagan Ministries, Post Office Box 50126, Tulsa, Oklahoma 74150 0126. And in Canada, write Kenneth Hagan Ministries, Post Office Box 335, Station D. Etobicoke, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, M9A4X3.